right, Happy New Year, y'all. If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Psalm 103. Uh, Psalm 103, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to mainly be focusing on verses 11 through 14, and I want to do something a little different. I want us to stand uh, this morning as we read uh, God's Word, right? Um, And the reason why we're doing this this morning, um, and the reason why I'm telling you to do it, because I want to remind us that we are embodied creatures, right? We tend to think that it's our emotions that affect the position of our bodies, right? So last night, I was up at New Year's. I wasn't watching the ball drop. I was watching the Georgia-Ohio State game. And, uh, and right around midnight is when it happened. Right around midnight is when the kicker for Ohio State kicked the field goal. And I was rooting for Ohio State, right? And he missed it. And the emotion of, like, I don't know what you call it, depression, like, entered my body. And I dropped to my knees. I was like, oh, man, he missed it, right? And we tend to think our emotional lives are like that, right? Like, our emotions affect the position of our bodies. But I want to say it's not always like that. Like, it's often the case that the position of our body affects our emotions. Um, It's the reason why if you stay in a dark room for a long time, you start to feel down, right? It's the reason why, um, it's it's, it's, it's the reason why when, like, you lay down, even if you're not tired, you lay down and you start to feel tired, right? Like, the positions of our bodies matter. And even when we stand, uh, what standing communicates is reverence, Right? And uh, what standing, I hope, does today is shape your emotions to feel and to sense what exactly we're reading right now. Because these aren't regular words. These aren't my words. These are the various words of God. And so let's stand um, as we hear the word of God for Psalm 103. Here it is. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful for your words, that these aren't just regular words, that you, the God of the universe, the God that hung the stars and, and placed Jupiter where it is, that you are the God that is speaking to us today, Your words matter, and we should not respond to your words flippantly. We should not ignore your words. We should believe your words and respond to them in trust and faith and obedience. Would you help us to do that today, Father? We can't do it on our own. We need you. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Amen. Have a seat, y'all. Have a seat. Hey, guys, so listen, for the last couple of years, uh, there's been so many people in, like, Hollywood Uh, describing the fact that the movie star is dead. And what what I mean by the movie star is this. It used to be the case back in the day, you know this season, I grew up in this season, that there were certain actors that could be in a movie that uh, it doesn't matter what the movie was about, that movie was going to be amazing. That movie was going to be top at the box office, right? Like you think of people like Will Smith or like Julia Roberts or like Brad Pitt. Like if they're in a movie... It doesn't matter, like, it could be a movie about a person staring at paint dry. If those actors were in it, that, that movie was going to be number one at the box office. However, uh, people have been describing the fact that that's changed. Like, there are no more really movie stars. There isn't that kind of person that could be in a movie, and that person, just by the sheer force of who they are, propels uh, that movie to sell or, or to be popular. And many people have been uh, asking, like, why is that the case? Uh, Quentin Tarantino, uh, one of uh, the uh, most uh, famous film directors of all time, he agreed with the fact that movie stars are dead, 
And he had an idea of why that's happened. And he describes it like this. He says, what happened is the marvelization of Hollywood. So Tarantino actually said this. He said, part of the marvelization of Hollywood is that you have all these actors who have become famous playing these characters, but they're not movie stars. Captain America is the star, or Thor is the star. It's these franchise characters that have become a star. So to summarize what he's saying, he's saying Hollywood has become marvelized because actual people have ceased to be stars. The superheroes are now the stars, and we all want to see them. And personally, I think this, and I'm going to bring it home to your neighborhood today. I think Hollywood has become marvelized because our lives already are. You look at me, you're like, Eric, exactly. Somebody just said, ooh, that's deep. Y'all don't even know what I meant by that, right? <laughs> and so, like, you're like, Eric, like, what are you talking about? Here it is. We live in a world in which everybody is trying to be superhuman. Everybody. I'm not saying that you're trying to be Black Panther or you're trying to be, or you're trying to be Captain America. Right? But for all of the superheroes are the stars because we aspire to be like them. And here's how we aspire to be like them. For all of us, there's a deep down feeling in ourselves that who we are is never enough. For all of us, for so many of us, there's this feeling and this deep desire to exceed the human limitations that you have. Especially here in D.C. If you're like me, you wish that you can exceed the time limits because it doesn't feel like you can get done all the things that you, you think you need to get done during the day. You wish that you could be the person that everybody expects you to be. You wish that you could be everywhere at once and you wish you could know it all and you can't do it. And that's led to so much anxiety in our lives. And I'll tell you some of the reason probably why people are hesitant to even come to church on January 1 because you think that your pastor is going to remind you of all the stuff you didn't do in 2022 and try to push you to do a whole bunch of stuff in 2023, right? And I've talked to so many of you guys and you feel this way. In a fast-paced city like D.C., so many of you have more demands on your life than you got time. And I've talked to someone, I remember talking to someone here a few weeks ago, and he said this. He said, I'm expected to get eight hours of sleep a night so I'll be healthy and eat right. Work out every day to get fit and then also work 50 to 60 hours a week. Maintain my friendships, check in on my family, serve, clean my house, clean, keep my house clean, have a side hustle as well, and give off the appearance that it all comes easy and it's not, I'm exhausted. And I know many of you guys feel that way. And here's the thing, that hasn't stopped many of you guys from trying because of January 1 of every year, what do we do? Many of us re-up our quest to become superheroes. Because you think that the issue, that what's between you and becoming a superhero is a productivity hack or time management. Right? And so don't get me wrong, time management, productivity, all those things are incredibly important. But hear me out. What if your limits are good things and not bad things? Hear me out. What if you're not meant to be super, superhuman this year? What if you're meant to be satisfied with being human? What if, and, and listen to this, what if the joy and life that you are looking for is not found and breaking creaturely limits, but is found in accepting them. All this leads me to Psalm 103 today. So Psalm 103 is a whole chapter of the Bible where David is tempted to forget things that are true 
about God. He's tempted, to be, he's tempted to not believe in who God has declared himself to be and what he's done. And we don't know the exact situation that David is going through, but here's the thing. If you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for any period of time, you felt this way. You've rubbed up against situations in your life that tempt you to disbelieve what God declares about himself. Maybe you're going through a dry season of life. Maybe you've felt the disappointment. Uh, maybe you're just going through just a hard time. And during that time, you've been tempted to disbelieve what God has said about himself. You're tempted to allow your emotional state to drive your theology. And what David does here in Psalm 103 is something that we all should do. Instead of allowing his emotions to inform his life, he uses the truth of God's word to inform his emotions. He says in Psalm 103, verse 1, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Pretty much David is saying here, listen, I'm in a season of my life where I'm tempted to not remember what God has done, and I'm going to tell my soul, no, God is who he said he declared himself to be, and I'm going to trust him. And as you progress through this psalm, um, listen to this, that's not all that David does. David doesn't simply remind himself of what God has done. Hang with me. David also reminds himself of how God feels about him. How God feels about him. And all this relates to uh, limitations, and we'll see this in the chapter, especially um, uh, in verses 11 through 14. All this relates to limitations in this way. If you're going to live th this year well as a human being, with limits, one of the things that you're going to have to do is to remember how God feels about you. How God feels about you, how he sees you. And so today, I want to give you just two reminders today. As we move into 2023, as a limited human being who can't do it all, and you're not meant to, how do you deal with your limitations joyfully? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Here's my first point. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We are able to accept our limits when we know that God's heart towards us is one of steadfast love. We're able to accept our limits when we know that God's heart towards us is one of steadfast love. Hear me this morning. God's love towards you is great. Remember, this chapter is all about David reminding himself of the greatness of God because he's tempted to forget. And so he says in verse 11, he says, okay, so remember, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. The point of this verse is saying, listen, the distance between the heavens and the earth is immeasurable. And that's how big God's love is for you. God loved you with a never giving up, unstoppable, big kind of love. And my question for you today is this. Are you able to receive that kind of love from God? Are you able to receive God's love? Are you able to receive it? And let me give you a, just a practical way that we can learn to receive God's love. I'm going to give it to you now. One of the ways that we accept God's love for us is that we accept the limitations that he gives us. One of the ways that we accept God's love for us is that we accept the limitations that he gives us. By way of analogy, uh, Ray Charles, uh, I mean, uh, um, just to keep the, uh, the, 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 uh, the motif of kind of movie stars, uh, Jamie Foxx. So years back, he played uh, Ray Charles in a film, right? And I remember watching a, um, a, uh, a video of him 
um, in an interview, he was describing the process of getting into character. And so uh, there was a time in which uh, Ray, uh, Ray Charles and, and Jamie Foxx, they actually got together so Jamie could, uh, could learn his mannerisms. And they were both sitting at pianos, and they were playing uh, the piano together, right? And so they're playing, and Jamie Foxx is an amazing pianist. He's not as good as Ray Charles. So they're playing together, and uh, Jamie hits a wrong note. And typically, you hit a wrong note. You're like, you just made a mistake. Ray paused and got annoyed at Jamie and said, why would you go do something like that? And Ray, I mean, and, and Jamie gets like nervous. He starts stuttering, right? And uh, Ray immediately said this to Jamie. He said, listen, like Luke's playing right now. He says, the notes are right under your fingers. You got to learn to play the right ones. Catch what Ray is saying to Jamie. We're going to go somewhere with this. What he's saying is that in order for you to play, play the piano in the way that it's intended to be played, all the notes aren't available to you at any given moment. Right? Have you ever heard a kid play the piano? I'm going to demonstrate. Watch out. So uh, my, my, uh, my mom bought my, uh, my, uh, my, my kid a piano for Christmas two years ago. And by March, all the batteries were out of it. Right? And, and why is that? Because I'm going to show you how kids play the piano. That's how they play the piano. Doesn't sound good, right? Doesn't sound good at all. You can keep playing, Luke. <laughs> and the reason why it doesn't sound good is this. Because the kids think that all the keys are available to them at any given moment. The kid hasn't learned how to play the piano, the concept of limits when uh, you play. For beauty on the piano to happen, there has to be the idea of limits. Hang with me. To play the piano well is to know limits. You're limited by key. You're limited by chords. You're limited by time structure. And beauty happens, is when, you, beauty happens when you play and create within the limits. Within the limits. It's like Ray said. He said, the notes are right under your fingers. You got to learn how to play the right ones. Hear me today. What is true about the piano is true about your life. What if the beautiful life that God desires for you to live, what if the beautiful life, the life of you receiving God's steadfast love is only possible when you accept the limits that God gives you rather than rejecting them? We see this actually at the beginning of the Bible. God creates a world that is good and yet incomplete. He puts two people um, in this creation, and he tells them to play with this beautiful object of creation that he's given them. He says, make something beautiful out of the raw creation that I've already given you. He says, name the animals to Adam and Eve. He says, cultivate the world. Um, build things, right? Um, um, create and produce. Create more human beings that can do this alongside of you. Play on this beautiful instrument of creation that I've given you. However, there's a note that I don't want you to play. He says, hey, don't eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, because if you do that, you'll die. What did God do for Adam and Eve in that moment? He gave them limits. Beauty happens within the limits. And then what do we see in Genesis chapter 3? Instead of Adam and Eve playing within the limits, the beautiful limits that God has given them, Adam and Eve reject the limits that God has placed on their lives. The enemy tempts them to believe that God giving them limits on what's actually him withholding love, not, not expressing love. Adam and Eve buy the lie and reject God's given limits. They eat the fruit, 
sin enters creation, all because they rejected the limits God gave them. And guess what? Every single one of us have done the same thing. We've all rejected the limits of obedience that God has set before us. And here's the thing. When we reject the limits of obedience, because God is perfect and just, he has to punish sin. God would not be good if he just let sin slide. Because sin is not simply making a mistake on a keyboard. It's not simply playing the wrong note. Sin is staring at God in the face and saying, God, I reject you. And God is just. He has to punish sin. However, there's a reason why David in this text calls God's love steadfast, because God didn't give us up in our sin. God, in his mercy and out of his steadfast love, sent his son, Jesus Christ. Out of love, Jesus Christ came, and Jesus Christ came and demonstrated a life that played all the right notes. He lived in perfect obedience and full obedience to his father. Not only that, Jesus goes on to die the death that we deserve in our place on the cross for our sin. He experienced the wrath of God that we deserve for our disobedience. He then rises again, and thus in doing that, he gives anyone the opportunity to have a relationship with God. All we got to do is confess our sin and to trust that Jesus' work on the cross was enough for us to make us right with God. And we can experience God's steadfast love in that. Verse 11 says, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Luke, appreciate you playing, man. Y'all give it up for Luke. Thank you. And as, and as Luke steps down, I want to remind us of this, guys. Like, obedience doesn't earn God's love. It doesn't. So many of us think, oh, man, if I obey, God will love me more. No, obedience doesn't earn God's love. Obedience is an act of trust in God's love. This is part of what it means to fear God, y'all. To fear God is saying this, God, your love is so good, I don't want to find out what happens when I step outside of your limits. I don't want to find out what happens. God, I trust you. It's like Psalm, I believe, 16 says, the boundary lines for me have fallen in beautiful places. I'm going to stay here. What I have is a good thing. I'm going to follow you. One of the ways that you know that you have accepted God's steadfast love for you is that you now refuse to go outside of the limits of obedience that God has set for you. Jesus says this throughout the whole New Testament. He says, listen, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. This is an indication that we've accepted God's love for us. We trust him. And here's the thing. I'm going to move on to another point because I think we all get that one. Like one of the ways that God has shown his love to us is by giving us the limits of obedience. But let me give you one that here in D.C. we don't always get. Another way that God demonstrates his love to us is through the limits of our bodies. Through the limits of our bodies. Here's a point that I'm going to give you. You can go ahead and write this down if you're taking notes. We are able to accept our limits when we realize that God responds to them with compassion. God responds to them with compassion. Look at verse 12 through 14. Or, yeah, 12 through 14. I love that these verses are together. Hang with me. Because these verses share, um, um, share with us that God responds differently to our sin than he does our limits. I'm going to read them real quick. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, our sin. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I love it. Check this out. 
Verse 12 says that God removes our transgressions from us. We just talked about that in the gospel. God takes our sin from us through the personal work of Jesus Christ, and we are granted the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He takes our sin. However, when Christ takes our sin, he doesn't take our limitations. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 is a verse that screams limits. Like, it, when it talks about us, it doesn't say you're a superhero. What verse 14 says is that you are dust. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Thus, he shows compassion. Pretty much just saying that you're fragile, yo. You're time-bound. You're limited. You can't do it all. And this verse says that this, that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's a good thing because your limitations, your dustiness is the setting for God to come to you with his compassion. This is why I love the Christmas season. The Christmas season is the fact that we're not called to measure up and level up to get ourselves to God. God comes down to us in our limitations with compassion. I love it. He's not saying, look at us and saying, try harder, get on my level. He moves towards you in your limitations with compassion. And the reason why I'm hanging out on this point is this. Because we, especially here in D.C., we live a life in which we feel guilty because of our bodily limitations. If you're like me, most of the days you lay your head on the pillow at night and you feel guilty because you did not get done all the things you thought you should get done. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel this way. But I know, I know you feel this way because I've talked to so many of y'all. There's so many demands on your time. Couple that with advertising and social media and comparison, and you're tempted to believe that if you're going to live a fulfilling life, you got to do it all. You got to be a super employee and a super friend and a super wife or a super husband and super fit and a super parent. And you got to, like I was doing over here, you got to play all the notes because that's what everybody is telling you to do. And what, here's the thing. And I hope this actually frees some of y'all today. What God has called you to do is going to fit inside of the limitations that he's given you. It's going to fit inside of the limitations that he's given you. Each of y'all, God has given you 168 hours each week. God has placed you in one place at one time. He's given you different sets of abilities and capacities. And what God has called you to do is going to fit inside of that. Here's something for you. That feeling of guilt that you feel when your priorities exceed your limitations, that is not conviction from the Holy Spirit. That's not conviction from the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. God gives conviction for your sin. He gives compassion for your limitations. And I want to encourage you guys today to stop, feeling, stop confusing the two. Stop feeling guilty because you're not a superhero, because you're not meant to be. Remember, God's response to your sin is different than his response to your bodily limitations. Now, I'm going to give you an example real quick. I really want to drive this home, point home. Uh, there used to be, a, I don't know if this show still comes on, but I used to watch it and I loved it. It's a show called Undercover Boss. Anybody seen that show? Y'all seen that show? The show, I ain't really got to explain it to you because the show is just like what it sounds like. It's like the CEO or founder of a company, he becomes a new employee in his own company. So instead of being on the top, he goes all the way to the bottom. He works alongside um, some of the introductory um, uh, um, employees there. And the boss's presence doesn't carry a lot of weight. People don't know who he is. And because of that, some employees use that as an occasion to do whatever they want to do. 
right? So they kind of just flout the limits of the rules. They, they clock out late and, and they treat people bad because they don't realize the presence of the person that's with them. But then in every single episode, you got that person who flouts the limits of the rules. But there is another person uh, always in the episode and that they're always brushing up with their limit, their, 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 the, the, the limits of humanity. There's always that one person in the episode. Y'all know what if y'all seen the show. Always that one person who's like, man, I don't work for the company for 30 years and my car's broken down and I walk uphill both ways to get to work and I'm just struggling, right? At the, at the end of the show, what happens? The, the boss is revealed, right? And then two things happen at the end, right? He chastises the person who flouts the limits of the rules. And what does he do? He encourages and accepts and shows compassion to the person who brushes up against the limits of their humanity. And that's why I love the verses 12 through 14, because it shows that God sends conviction for the sin, but he shows compassion for the humanity. And we got to stop. we got to start confusing the two. We're going to stop feeling guilty about the fact that we're brushing up against the limits of humanity because God knows your frame. He remembers that you're dust. And so you might be looking at me and you might be saying, Eric, okay, cool, Eric, I get all that. What do I do with that today? Like, like whoa, 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 okay, that, that, that's great that, like, um, I haven't, uh, that, that, I, 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 that God shows compassion to me in my humanity. How do I actually experience joy in my limitations? There's so much I can say here, guys, but I'm going to give you two quick things before I close. Two quick ways that you can begin to find joy in your limitations. So here's one. It's not going to feel practical, but promise me, it'll get practical. Here's one thing you got to do. You got to fear God. You got to fear God. The reason why I say this is because in the text, verse 12 and verse 14, oh no, 12 and 13, sorry, 11 and 13, talk about fearing God, right? In verse 11, it says, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verse 13, it says, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Here's the thing. These verses aren't saying that the fear of God earned God's love and compassion. What it's saying, we can't earn them. What it's saying is that God's love and compassion are experienced by those who fear him, are experienced by those who feared him. Let me explain what the Bible means by fear. We think when it talks about fearing God, we think fear is completely synonymous with being scared of God. And the Hebrew understanding of fear is so much deeper than that. Fear is so much deeper than simply being scared of God. You know what fear is? Fear is being in awe of the weightiness of God. Fear is the acknowledgement of God's weightiness, weightiness and that he's always present. And fear is me recognizing his presence every single moment of my life. So go back to the undercover boss analogy. Fear of God is the acknowledgement that the ruler of the nations and the CEO of the galaxies is always among us. Fear is us being aware of his presence and saying, because you are present and that's who you are, I'm going to live in response to your presence. Here's the practical part. So that's fear. Here's the practical part. One of the ways that we uh, acknowledge the weightiness of God is that the weightiness of God shows up in our priorities. Shows up when we start setting goals and priorities. If God is weighty in your life, if you fear him with your life, he's going to be weighty as you set your goals, as you determine your priorities. Here's the thing. Let, let, let me tell you something real quick. And I'm going to tell you this. It might step on toes this morning. 
Hey, January 1st, man. Like, let's go for it. One of the reasons why so many of us uh, experience so much anxiety around our limits is because we're trying to please God and we're trying to please everybody else at the same time. For many of you, it's not that you don't consider God. I mean, like you're here this morning, right? But I appreciate you being here. Uh, but here's the thing. It's just that other people are probably as weighty, their opinions and their gaze are as weighty in your life as God is. Or it might be possible that they are more weighty than what God is in your life. And you're trying to please them and you're trying to please God. And so this expresses itself in many different ways. For some of y'all, it's like, yo, like my coworkers, man, they're working 60, 70 hours a week. And like, they're going to think I'm a slacker if I don't do that. Their opinion is weighty to you. But for some of y'all parents, man, I've been here. You look at other parents and you're like, yo, like they got their kids in French and chess and they do badminton too, and they got private tutoring. They got all the stuff, and like, I need to do that stuff because if I don't do it, people are gonna think that I'm a bad parent. And can I encourage y'all with this? Y'all, fear God. Fear God. God is more weighty than other people. Live to please him and trust, and trust other people's opinions to him. Hear this. Maybe somebody needs to hear this. When we follow God's priorities, somebody will be upset that you're not following theirs, and that's okay. That's okay. You are a limited individual. And so my question is, what if we created our priorities with the acknowledgement that first, I can't do it all, and God, you are here, and your presence is most weighty. And I'm going to give you two questions that may help you as you goal set uh, for this year. That acknowledge the fact that you are limited and that God is weighty. Here's two questions. One, God, asking God, God, what priorities do you want me to have this year? Often we can set our goals and our dreams and we tack on what God might want. And then what happens is when life gets busy as it always does, you know, the priorities and goals that, that, that God desires for your life, those tend to be the ones that drop off. But what if you started off? Like, God, what are the priorities and goals that you want me to have this year? And then the second one, I think it's going to be helpful. It says, God, how do you want these priorities to be specifically reflected in my life for 2023? Here's the thing. God has given us all the same priorities as believers in Christ. He's given us a priority to know him and to make him known. However, for all of us, man, like we're different. We got different gifts. We got different capacities. Uh, we're different people, different personalities. And while we all have the same priorities, God has called us to express these priorities in different ways. My goals and my priorities aren't going to look the same as yours in every single place. And so I'm not going to tell you guys exactly how to do this. There's so much more that I can say here before I move on. But let me say this, though, because I know how my heart works. I can use the idea of creaturely limitations as an excuse to be lazy. Of thinking, no, I'm limited, so I'm not going to try to do the things that I need to do. And let me tell you this. If you're using the idea of you being limited as an excuse to be lazy towards your commitments to God, I'm going to say you're using that idea of limitations in a wrong way. God has given you what you need to do what he's called you to do. And those who love God are serious about doing what he's called them to do. And so fear God. 
But here's another way that you can find joy in your limitations. It's, it's going to be a practical one. Depend on community. Depend on community. Luke, you can go ahead and come back up, man. I love in verse 14 that David describes his uh, finitude, his creatureliness um, in the plural. So he says in verse 14, he says that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And that's a reminder that not just David, but every single one of us are limited. And because we are limited, God has created us to be dependent on uh, one another. Y'all, we need one another. This is why I love how the main uh, picture that God uses for his church is the body of Christ. Like you got so many different people with so many gifts and so many uh, abilities, and we come together as God's body to do what he's called us to do in the world, despite our limitations. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, all these different people, different gifts, different limitations, one body. But think about this. God has given us so much to do. And if you try to do all the stuff that God has given the church to do by yourself, you're going to quickly become overwhelmed. You look at the Bible and you see commands to remember the poor and to gather together and to care for the vulnerable and share the gospel here and share the gospel to the nations and to visit the prisoner and to think about the orphan and care for them and all this stuff. And in our type A personalities, if we're not careful, we can think, God, you are telling me to do all that stuff. And I ain't got enough time to do it. And it's so interesting is that, um, and what I love this is that one of the reasons why we are collectively the body of Christ is because you by yourself can't accomplish all that God wants to do in the world. We need each other. I said it before, man, in church we often can feel this guilt as we approach the scriptures. You come and you're like, man, I'm doing some, I'm doing some great things for, for, for the faith, man. I'm trying to follow God with all I have. And you come and you hear a sermon, and all you hear is the stuff that you're not doing. And you walk away again, and you're like, oh, man, I ain't doing that. <laughs> and you feel this burden. And then you hear a pastor say, like, Matthew 10, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And you're like, rest where? And the reason why is because this, you think that you got to do it all. You think that you got to play all the notes in the body of Christ. But hear me this morning. What if instead of playing all the notes, God is saying, listen, take a look at your limitations and faithfully play the note that I've given you. For instance, watch out, Luke. What if me and my limitations, see, on the piano, I, I, don't, I, don't got the, I don't got the skills you got. I could play one note, right? What if my limitations, I play one note. And then, Luke, you came alongside me and you started playing your note. And you could keep playing. And the body of Christ played all of their notes. What would happen isn't the, 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 the clamor of us trying to do it all ourselves. What would happen is, is the beauty of God's mission being accomplished in the world, not just through individuals, but through the whole body of Christ. Y'all, we all got a part to play in this, right? So let's be faithful. Let's determine, what God, what have you called me to do with the limitations you've given me? And let's get out here. Let's serve Christ together. We need each other to do that. But hear me this morning. God has not simply called you to depend on community to accomplish what he wants to do in the world. God has called you to depend on community because you can't actually be a human being without other people. And here's the thing. There's a lot of things in your life, y'all, that like you struggle to do and you're scared to admit it. 
There's a lot of things in your life that it takes you forever to do that for somebody else is easy for them. There's so many things in your life that you are struggling in and there's somebody who's been in that journey with you that can help you. And one of the ways that we receive compassion from God is when we practice vulnerability and honesty with his people. When we get in community, man, I encourage you guys to join a community group, but don't just join one. Get in there and reveal who you are eventually. Help people see what your gifts are. Help people see what you're struggling with. And what tends to happen over time is when you show up with humility and vulnerability, God meets you with compassion through the arms of another, another person in the body of Christ. We are meant to depend on one another. So with all that said today, you don't have to have it all together. Verse 14, because God knows your frame. He remembers that you are dust. And that's a good thing. Let's take a moment to pray together. Uh, Father, we uh, love you. And we are so grateful for the fact uh, that uh, you come and you meet us right where we are. Father, we thank you that over Christmas, we just celebrated the fact that we serve a Savior who entered into human flesh. He took on the limitations of a body, demonstrating that our creaturely limitations aren't bad things. He took on a body without, without sin. Thank you so much that you remove our sin from us and that you move towards us in compassion. Help us to know that this year. There's so much demands on us, so much, so much demands on our time and our attention. Help us to rest in the fact that you know our frame, you remember that we're dust. Help us to receive your compassion and help us to know that we are not called to work for your approval. The approval has already been received in the gospel of Jesus Christ, so we don't work for the approval, we work out of the approval. God, we love you and we thank you so much for the grace you've given us in the gospel. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.